0: Hi everyone and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games and I make tabletop role-playing games and I'm here with my co-host Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig.
1: Hi, Jess. I am Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games and I also make tabletop role-playing games and uh, here we are with our guest back after much (laughs) <laughs> to do and hoo ha and much weird behind the scenes stuff. We got him back. He's here. Sean, hi. Hooray.
2: It's me. Sean, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I'm uh, also a guy that makes uh, tabletop role playing games. I am a uh, part of Nerdy City. Um, and we are primarily known for Rememorex and Commandroids these days. Uh, Rememorex is the uh, game of suburban 80s horror and Commandroids is a game set in the same universe it is the tabletop role-playing game of transforming 80s robots um so that's what we've been doing and uh been working uh, uh long and hard on the next uh next book in that series which is going to be holomatics which is uh new wave holograms um which has been a lot of fun and a huge learning experience for me getting into the uh, what um, the uh, the director of the project is, who's my wife, calls pink aisle play and fashion <laughs> dolls and that kind of thing, which I, I really knew nothing about up until recently.
0: Oh my gosh, that I is my topic. That is, I love fashion games and things like that. I love dress up games; they're so fun. Um, but we also we we're not talking about dress up today. We have a topic that you've chosen that. Does I feel like fits along these lines really well? Uh, Craig, what are we talking about today?
1: Uh, yeah, we're talking about GMing uh, vehicles and spaceships um, in games, and this is a topic that can get very broad very easily because it de- kind of depends on the game system. Um, and how the game system handles vehicles and spaceships, um, how they they can be incredibly complex and very crunchy parts of the rules. They can be uh, much lighter. Um, and there can be a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can do with them as a GM outside of just the rules, but just like kind of incorporating vehicles and spaceships and all the things you can do with vehicles and spaceships, like, you know, travel and combat and, um, sometimes, you know, a large enough vehicle or a spaceship serves as a home as well um, for the characters. And that can be a, a unique um, kind of part of your campaign. So let's talk.
0: Yeah. Car, cars,
1: cars and chips Absolutely. <laughs> what's,
0: <laughs> what's your experience jamming cars and ships?
2: Well, um, <clears throat> through Commandroids, uh most of the characters in the game that I've been running for the past three, uh, <laughs> three years have been cars and ships (laughs) um so uh that was something that i thought was really fun and interesting was was uh developing a character based on you know it's a vehicle and then developing a personality out of that vehicle um and then sort of either leaning into or subverting the expectations right so if you're a bulldozer uh you are a you know big brawny construction type Um, but uh, like one of the characters was uh, actually a uh, um, a, yeah bulldozer who did turn out to be a big brawny construction type but he also was like interested in earth he became a baker he was interested in like earth cuisine and learned how to bake which I thought was a really fun like subversion of the big like this massive you you know 80 ton robot but like very delicate with uh you know I'm, I'm going to make scones today and like that kind of thing um but yeah it meant that like you know it, it was it, it really kind of was interesting like learning i think more of the appeal of that kind of genre is this tendency to look at a vehicle and assume it has a personality and then to just assign it that personality because it turns into a guy Uh, or, you know, an individual, I shouldn't say a guy, I meant a guy in the like toy sense of like, I've got a bunch of star Wars guys. I didn't, I wasn't trying to gender any, uh, robots here. (laughs) Um, but you know, if you've got like, you know, the Lamborghini Countach, which is sort of your classic sexy eighties supercar. And then, you know, in the lore of the Transformers, there's a lot of different characters that are Lamborghinis. But I think one of the most famous is Sunstreak, who sort of embodies that, like, when he's a robot, he's this, like, very vain, like, look at me, I'm gorgeous. And that kind of, like, suits the personality of the vehicle. And I kind of always love that about, like, you know, what you're doing is is essentially taking... a a, a vehicle and extrapolating a personality and like by turning it into a humanoid shape you can really or even an animal like you can really like dig deep into that personality
0: I think that's so important like if you if you want your vehicles to have an importance in the game treating them whether they are a character or not treating them like a character with a personality can really bring out a lot of fun role play moments
1: I think like even if you take Take what Sean's saying and extrapolate it into a game where you're playing characters that aren't the actual vehicles, but they have vehicles, the vehicles are part of their story, they have access to vehicles, they have their favorite vehicles and that sort of thing. You can do the same thing and just extrapolate that personality um, and encourage the, the players to extrapolate that personality now if the if the vehicle is like kit from Night Rider and has a voice and, and intelligence and everything you can manifest that more specifically but even if it doesn't you can you could easily you know run a spy game set in the 80s where the characters have um that Lamborghini and you could you know like whenever the Lamborghini gets uh gets dirty you can make you know as a GM make a point of like you're know, like that thing really needs to be cleaned and detailed like that's in bad shape like you know <laughs> not that the you know you're, you're 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 implying that the that the the fancy beautiful vain vehicle doesn't want to be that you know to be uh, marked mark, mucked up and everything um or you might have players that take it in the other direction and like you know they might have Um, like this big, uh, this, you know, like big old truck that they treat almost like it's this dainty vein, like thing that doesn't want to get like it's it's covered in rust and it's old you know it's like 40 years old and it's a big boxy thing it's not sleek and stylish but they treat it like it's like this really wonderful thing because you know maybe the character didn't have a that's their only vehicle they've ever owned or it's uh the, the vehicle has a history and it ha- it's important to them in some way um and you can as the gm help to embody that. Like that, that might be, if if vehicles are going to be an important part of play as a GM, perhaps ask the question, you know, what's the history of the vehicle? Ask the, the players to help kind of define that. Ask them if the, if the, if the vehicle has a personality, what kind of personality it has and how, how does your character treat it? Um, is it purely utilitarian and it just gets you from point A to point B? Um, or does it, you know, th- does the character take special care of it? Or does the character use, um, like, you know, only, ha- only let certain people work on it. Like I wouldn't trust my vehicle with, you know, mm. these, these other, uh, at these other, at this other garage, like I'll let the other characters in the group work on it. And then there's this one mechanic. That's the only mechanic I trust with my, especially if they give the vehicle a name, you know, with my Dolores, whatever, they're, <laughs> whatever the vehicle's name is, name um, is critical. Yeah. 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 You can you can you can build that sort of thing up and then it helps to make the vehicle kind of more important become part of the group the vehicle can have its moments in the spotlight too even if it's just having those moments by being driven or operated by other characters um you know it becomes uh like this legendary thing of like well you pulled off this move in this vehicle that shouldn't have been able to do it because you as a character are super skilled at driving and you had the, the vehicle tricked out just the right way. um, But, you know, you can, you can build it that direction, like setting aside the, the getting into the argument and the discussion about the lore, but the Millennium Falcon has a personality. Yeah, I was waiting for that um, to come up. <laughs> I, I knew um, that was going to be part of it. And I... you know, there's and there's the whole discussion of it. You know, it did the. It's the ship that did the Kessel Run in under twelve parsecs. And yes, par- parsec is a is a measurement of distance. Um, and they've explained that in Star Wars lore. They've explained why that actually means something. Mm. But the point is that Han Solo boasts that as in as it something really remarkable. And that says something about the ship and also kind of says something about Han um, as a pilot, but you can, you can kind of know. speaks to their relationship. Yeah. And, and they have a very, very important relationship. I think that's <laughs> they have that's, a very temperamental relationship, with but each it's, other. it's, it's, it's a critical <laughs> part of that
2: story. And I think it's something that kind of gets yeah. overlooked is the fact that like, you know, the Falcon is an important character in star Wars uh, and, and. You know, Filoni, I think, is one of the ones that gets that the most, because when he does a story like he sort of adds uh, a ship that has a personality. So, like, you know, it's also like in the Bad Batch, like there's the Marauder, which is very clearly just another soldier and part of their team. Um, And then in uh, in Rebels, there was the ghost, which was like, you know, almost a maternal presence. It was sort of an extension of Hera, and like in the way that she was like sort of giving everybody a home um and you know uh um even in the mandalorian uh and and there's a very interesting shift where he had this kind of beat up rv that was like a prison ship in the razor crest uh and it was very much a bounty hunter's ship and now what he has is the ship of a warrior he's he's become I mean, I don't want to spoil things, but like, you know, if you're, if you're, <laughs> the behind character a couple has changed seasons, and
1: his ship has reflected that.
2: Uh, yeah. He's, he's, he's got a new ship and it's much smaller and faster, designed to do very specific things that, you know, uh, but bringing in fugitives is not something it can really handle. Um, and I think that that's sort of, uh, a, a reflection of a change in his, uh, in his focus and a change in what the story is about um and you know in each of these vehicles has their own personality i mean i i find it like star wars like the vehicles are especially like have a lot of personality i mean in, in it's just in the lines right like you can kind of tell that like a y-wing is a workhorse whereas a tie fighter is pretty clearly sort of this mindless killer just by looking at it you, you or hearing you it feel yeah especially yeah the, the the sound is is a critical part um although running a game and having to do tie fighters is very tiring i've run a lot of star wars <laughs> you have to just scream Wah! at your face <laughs> uh, you can't you can't just make the, the the standard space whoosh you have to like you know just scream at the top of your lungs whenever a tie fighter comes through it's
0: that, that's when you need a soundboard.
2: yeah <laughs> one, of the, one of those <laughs> little
1: recorders just, that's the way to Hot do buttons. it buttons <laughs> um,
0: i i like that you were talking about the tie-in between the character and their personality and like how they're evolving over time um i think when it comes to a ship there's usually or a car even there's there's someone who is the pilot there's someone who's in control of it and it belongs to them i mean there are there's a lot of media touchstones where like the ship is more of a collective thing that more than one person like is attached to um but for the millennium falcon it's certainly han's ship and um we can see like he's like this scruffy he's a scruffy looking nerve herder so is the millennium falcon um really making sure that you're listening to the cues that your players are giving you with their own personality as a pilot and reflecting that in their ship because they might not at first like if they are if they're playing a pilot in a star wars setting or they have a car or in a modern setting or whatever it is they might not at first know themselves what they want to do with this thing it might just be this um this item on a character sheet for them but when you start giving them the cues like they're they're really upset or something and the car backfires like you start giving them the clues like like hey these are things that are happening to you they're reflected in this in all parts of you and in this case as your character this ship this car this vehicle whatever it is is a part of you um can expand their their own creative freedom as well and really again i think it leads to a lot of really good character moments one of my favorite moments in in star wars is when um it's in empire strikes back and chewy is pulling random stuff out of it, seemingly random stuff out of the millennium Falcon and Hans freaking out and they're having a little argument. One of my favorite moments is, is this moment with the millennium Falcon itself. Um, And those are the cool moments I strive for when I'm a GM. (laughs) Um,
1: My favorite is when the ship doesn't work. Um, Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because it, it propels the story in another direction. Um, it's a great tension moment. Like, you know, I'm just thinking of like when they're firing up hyper, you know, hyperspeed and, and it, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> Oh, come on, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, if, 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 and that, that's like when I referred to the Falcon is, you know, they they have a temperamental relationship. They kind of, you know, they're at odds with each other on occasion, even though the, so- the, the Falcon doesn't have a, a voice or a mind in that respect. Um. You know, there's there's certainly vehicles and ships that in in different types of games that do where you might go as so far as to be there's an artificial intelligence or there's you know, like the voice of the computer, yeah, um, the personality of the computer that can be brought forward with too. And the, yes, uh, you know, you can you can build that too.
2: There's a there's a really fascinating like sort of cinematic legacy, right? Because the time that like Star Wars are uh, for us old heads, Star Wars, but but for you know most people a new hope the first one that was in theaters um the time that that came out there was sort of this obsession with trucking mm-hmm. uh in the 70s there I was didn't this know like this. yeah, yeah it was trucking really,
1: and cb radios and cb
2: radios and, tri- and there were a lot of trucking movies so there was like convoy and bj and the bear and all these movies about truckers and there's sort of a similarity with these like truckers that have to kind of make their way through barricades, and like there's some scruffy looking smuggler. I mean, like, um, uh, uh, Smokey and the Bandit is, you know, so I think probably the most famous example. Uh, like the movie Smokey and the Bandit is, uh, about, um, uh, smuggling uh, cores because back in the 70s he couldn't get cores east of the Mississippi. I think I don't really know the details of who it's a smuggling, but yeah,
1: it's a, it's a smuggling road movie,
2: yeah. And then, like, uh, the idea is that uh, the reason that um, uh, that uh, Burt Reynolds character has this like souped up Pontiac is that he's there to like piss off the cops so they ignore the truck, so he's constantly like shooting jumps over like you know over roadblocks and things <laughs> so the cops all come after him and they can't catch him and they ignore the truck and that's the whole like dynamic but it also kind of creates an interesting relationship between those two vehicles that i think would be really fun to explore so like that was one of the things that we did It was like we we went on a on a deep dive into like uh pop culture vehicles and like the powers that the various robots would get based on the vehicles. So, like, what was it? The uh, uh, I think it's the sixth or fifty-nine or sixty-nine Miller meteor is what they called the um, ambulance slash hearse that became the Ecto one. So, if you play a character that has that can turn into that, um, one of your powers is that you can contain holograms or ghosts, or if you're a Delorean, you can sort of move through time a little bit, you know, and that kind of thing um and we did something where if you're uh uh if if you're a pontiac trans am you've got like this ultra souped up cb radio that can like uh tap into all these different frequencies because that's what that movie was about it was about like the you know the communication between these two these two vehicles um and i think you know in in, like even then like you get these like deep emotional moments i mean obviously uh i'm not a huge trekkie but i remember uh you know, is it the second or third Star Trek movie where they, they shot down the Enterprise? And that was like a huge deal. <laughs> uh, man, I'm full of spoilers today. But, um, <laughs> you know, it did come out 30 years ago. So 40. Jeez. Oh, but you get my point. Um, you know, and in, in there's uh, that movie Convoy. Uh, well, I'm going to spoil that one, too. Uh, yeah, there's a scene it's where okay. the truck... these
0: movies are older than me. You're fine.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a scene where the truck goes in, like it goes off a bridge or something. I mean, I haven't seen it in that amount of time. It's been a long time. But I remember being like kind of heartbroken when the truck like went off the bridge. And like, I was like, oh, no, the big rubber duck. Oh, because that was its name. Um, giving that's the, the fascinating, like the, the the step one in this. And I think that, you know, the first mechanical uh, game thing. And it's it's great because it's, it's a game mechanic, but it's also diegetic and it will work every time the second you give a vehicle a name it gains a personality like clockwork right so if you've got like you know oh man i've got uh it's like you said like i've got this porsche 911 in my garage and it can hit 150 in you know whatever amount of time that's a really fast car but if you're like oh meet dolores suddenly it's a (laughs) character you know and that's the thing that that uh, is a very big, and I think that's part of the reason that they make a big deal of like naming all the vehicles, you know, all the ships in Star Wars is, you know, and it's a very interesting thing, right? It's like high fighters rarely, if ever have names, Uh, you know, at the Imperial level, you have to get to a, uh, 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 a Star Destroyer before a vehicle has a name. And the Star Destroyers have all these like very impersonal cold names like the Dauntless or the Invincible. And meanwhile, you know, people are running around in things like the Ghost and uh, the um, the Millennium Falcon and the Outrider. And like they all, you know, they in each of the names sort of carries a personality with it. And I think that's another thing that sort of moves through, you know, the Transformers. So, you know, that like Blue Streak is going to be a small, zippy, fast car, whereas Ironhide is going to be a big, chunky van. Optimus Prime is obviously this big Freightliner truck uh and hot rod is a hot rod so like the names carry personality straight into the vehicle um and there is this weird tendency uh to uh through uh a name you can sort of and this gets into some sticky areas but like there's a tendency to like give a sports car a lady's name because it's curvy and sexy uh you know um, and then that sort of implies a personality right there.
0: I I love this like car and vehicle culture that exists. I can't speak for any, any other cultures other than the U.S. culture when it comes to cars and vehicles. Uh, but they are they are so symbolic, and people really do put a lot like in real life. This is not even just in, in pop culture. In real life, people name their cars. They are super attached to them. They're doing all these things. I, I think because a lot of it has to do with this um history that we have in the United States of uh, exploration and um, using vehicles as part of that exploration. Uh, and I think that's really tied into either exploration or crime, like those are the two things that we've used (laughs) vehicles for in the United States, either smuggling um, during the Prohibition era and past that, Um, or like literally like we go to space in this vehicle and this is what we name our spaceships that we're taking to space and we're naming them after Greek gods or submarines to explore the ocean depths. I forget what James Cameron's submarine is called, but it has a name. We like. I think for specifically for a role-playing game where people are doing a lot of travel or exploration, exploration or crime, <laughs> having, <laughs> having that personality can, again, starting with the name, love that, the description, what does it look like? Um, and then using that as a symbol in a way that doesn't really exist in real life, but using it as a symbol for what's going on with the characters. Um I don't know. Now I want to try it out. I'm not like a big car person or anything. I had fun (laughs) when I when I GM'd commandroids. Um, it was really fun for me to try to describe cars. Um, when I had just done a little research before I GM'd to like, okay, what's a car do? What do they look like? What's this kind of car? (laughs) I had to do a little (laughs) little looking up when I did uh GM Commandroids. Um, but if you like cars as a GM i don't know it seems like a natural thing to
2: there's a fascinating like one of the other things that you know we have a long history of in this country of uh named vehicles Mm -hmm. and like important named vehicles is of course war uh you know Mm -hmm. like the the enola gay in world war ii and like you know what was it uh there's another one and i'm my mom would be so pissed at me for forgetting that but like there's another like really famous bomber um I keep thinking it's the apple brown Betty, but that's not right. But, 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 you know, they all had like lady names and they had the nose art and they were very personalized and like, obviously, you know, these were the things that were carrying these, frankly, teenagers into battle. Right. So they really would identify with these vehicles, you know, and especially with uh, things like warships and planes where, you know, this was, this was your only protection from, You know, the the worst of what World War Two and, and, you know, even then, like Korea and Vietnam had to offer. Um, uh, I've heard less about like tanks getting names, but like, actually, there's a recent story about a tank that everybody sent me where uh, one of the uh, Ukrainian, uh, one of the uh, uh, T-80 tanks that went missing in uh, Ukraine just showed up in Louisiana and nobody knows how. Or why? Mm. And everybody's like, this is your fault. This is a nemesite. And I'm like, well, I don't know how else to explain this. So I guess, yeah, that that thing is definitely bent on world domination. It should not be here and, and probably should be dealt with by somebody with a laser gun. Um, but uh when we were working on the uh the vehicle section, because there's a we actually did 250 vehicles, there's a supplement that we're gonna put all the extra ones in because we just couldn't fit them all in there. Um, it was myself and my brother who are Gen X, and this is this interesting generational breakdown. Um, and one of the writers, Emerson, who, uh, is a millennial and then, uh, one of the artists, uh, Cameron, who's like kind of Gen Z, like the youngest of us. And we found this interesting breakdown where my brother and I were just slinging the terms for the various like jet fighters, like, you know, this is an F-18, this is an F-111, back and forth, like it's nothing. And then Emerson's like, what the hell are you guys talking How do you know all these jets? And he kind of knew the cars. And then poor Cameron just didn't know. Like, well, I don't, wait. this one's kind of a four-door, this one's a truck. That's all I can tell. And the reason we came down at, like, that, that the Gen Xers knew the planes so well was because, like, in the 80s, there was a huge culture of, like, Selling these jet fighters as like kind of the superheroes of their day, right? The SR seventy one Blackbird is to date the fastest aircraft that's ever been made, um, and you know that's a role that's 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 never been broken. Uh, that's a, a a record that that hasn't gone anywhere. But like you know, the A ten Thunderbolt two I think is is you know the most heavily armed aircraft ever made, and it's still in operation as far as I know. And then there's you know the uh, F-14A Tomcat, which was Top Gun. So, of course, we knew that one because Tom Cruise flew around in it. Uh, so we kind of knew all these off the top of our heads. But, like, you know, the, the next generation after that, the 90s, that, you know, jet fighters weren't necessarily going to save you from communism anymore. So you didn't need to know the names of every single one. And, you know, and like, there's this kind of weird uh, um, breakdown of who knows what. But, like, and another big thing for me was, you know, again, growing up as Gen X, the reason we knew the difference between a Lamborghini versus a Nissan Fairlady Z is not because we're big car people, but because Sideswipe's a Lamborghini and Prowl is a Nissan Fairlady Z. Like, we knew them through these these shows that gave them personalities, right? And that was how we we learned in what they were, Um, in the fact that, like, you know... Trailbreaker is a Toyota Hilux, you know, I wouldn't know a Toyota Hilux from uh any other pickup truck if it wasn't for the fact that it turned into, you know, this little guy that I had in my room. <laughs> so that <laughs> personality
1: kind of made them more important than they were. Um oh, the the just as as long as we're sidetracking a little bit. Um this is something I've I've looked at and I thought about quite a bit and I like I think Sean you hit on it quite a bit. It had to do with like what the what 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 TV and movies and things that were popular at the time and uh you know you kind of went from there and toys and so forth that kind of glorified um war so you, like you had movies that where they, they focused on that sort of stuff a lot um and there's, there's a shift. You can see this in so many parts of society. There's a shift from the like late 70s into the 80s and the very early 90s and then everything that's like 2000s and after where if you want to geek out about something and learn everything there is to know about something, now you can do that with damn near anything. That's true. But at the time, 30 years ago, there were only a handful of things that you could reasonably geek out on because you could only get your hands on the materials to learn about that stuff in certain ways. And one of the things you could do is go to the library and look up books of airplanes. Right. So, but you couldn't go to the library and look up books of every episode of the Transformers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, so like there's, whereas now you could go and learn everything there is about the Transformers without ever actually watching the Transformers show. Yeah. Um, you know, just it's just it's an interesting you know, like it's when you found your geek niche, um, in in the era when you really had to kind of dig it up, um, and it wasn't is easily at your fingertips. And now there's just so much, there's so many geek niches that are at your fingertips that it's easy for people to get. So like your friends that don't know anything about these airplanes, it's because they are experts in other things. Oh, absolutely, but they have yeah. looked up, you know, because because they have access to all those other things where you at you know in your formative years you only had access to. Watching the Transformers and learning about all the vehicles and watching movies that had warships and and airplanes. I think there's some, there's
2: certainly something sinister going on there, right? Where they were trying <laughs> to sell us these like weapons of war as these heroic mm. things.
1: Well, uh, you, yeah, you and, think you know? Top Gun and, is it's not like Top Gun is responsible for a, a gigantic jump in Navy pilot. Um, yeah, I mean it was definitely
2: propaganda, and it and, was
1: absolutely responsible for a giant jump in Navy. Yeah, it doesn't make
2: me love the F-14 any less, though. Like, that's the problem is <laughs> yeah. I'm still, de- you know, and a big part of it is my mom <laughs> was a pilot. And the reason my mom became a pilot was because she wanted to fly an F-16 more than anything. And as a kid growing up in the, like, late 50s, early 60s, nobody was going to give a girl an F-16. Um, So, like, there's this weird, you know, in and in, in this gets to the core of, like, I think a lot of, like, what I've been writing about, which is this you know these these accidental beautiful moments that came from these very cynical places right um i've got a whole thing about how like the 86 transformers movie is one of the best war movies ever made but entirely by accident like that was not (laughs) what they were going for but they created this incredibly traumatic film because they were just killing off the original toy line so they could introduce the new ones and sell more toys but wound up just creating this incredibly traumatic film for an entire generation through this cynical means. And I think there's something about that as well with like, you know, these, this, this, this way that they were selling us on all these jets. Cause I remember everybody's house, like it wasn't just, you know, but most people that I went to, like somebody had like some book of planes or, or uh world war two uh, uh, planes or something like that. It was just a, you know, like that was just, I think something that, you know, was a, pretty standard coffee table book at the time was something about like it was either about like world war ii or like modern jet fighters because they were they were sort of the direction technology was going at the time like that was that was a lot more of like it was less about like you know internet and putting a smaller and smaller computer in your hand and it was more about like look what we can make this vehicle do and there's a weird pivot that happened, I think. Yeah. In the eighties where it, it went from one to the other. Um, but vehicular technology was really what I think a lot of the world was about up until 1980. Well, I mean, my personal opinion is it had to have been 1986, right? Cause that's when the challenger exploded and that's when everybody's like, maybe let's all stay home with our computers and not go out <laughs> anymore. Um, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There's there's you know there's other things that you can like really dig into, uh, but there was this tendency to sort of push you know this 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 concept of like high speed engineering as like the wave of the future, that I think kind of died out in the 80s and probably started in the 50s. And yeah, they were really experimenting with some weird stuff back then.
0: I think that this whole conversation is very fascinating. Um, we have been talking about it for forty minutes. We're still talking about <laughs> we're still talking about vehicles and, and ships and all of that. Uh, but I wonder if we could pivot a little bit into because I think you've touched on it already. Like, how can we incorporate them if we want to into our games as game designers? And, Sean, you mentioned, like, kind of the beginnings of that, like, knowing all of this stuff and kind of being immersed in this culture that really emphasized knowing what these ships are or cars are, knowing what these planes are, uh, what these fighter fighter jets are. Um, If I'm interested in putting a spaceship or a car or something like that into my game, what do I need to do? What should I do?
2: I remember reading something from one of the old Palladium games that I, I remember like just blew me away. Uh, I was in one of, uh, I think it was heroes unlimited, but I'm not completely sure. Um, I grew up with Palladium instead of dungeons and dragons. So that was like my like overly crunchy, like starting game system. And then I had to kind of divorce myself from like, maybe a character sheet does not need to be three pages long. What? Uh, <laughs> but uh I, I still have a, a, a deep love in my heart for Palladium and everything they do. And, and I, you know, I, I would love to run a rifts game or something like that if anybody wants to. Um, but they said something fascinating, which is that like uh, at the end of the day, in game terms, a car is just a set of armor that makes you faster, uh, stronger, and tougher.
1: Mm.
0: Does not
2: like, but severely diminishes your, uh, your dexterity, you know, your manual dexterity. And Obviously, that's painting with an incredibly broad brush, but it, in mechanical terms, it's really true, right? You, you know, you're you're behind the wheel of a car. You can hit something really hard. You can go really fast, but you can't <laughs> pick up a test tube full of chemicals like. And that's <laughs> that's really what it's. I mean, it's it's the core of what you're doing is is it's making you go a lot faster, Um, and so in terms of like those mechanics uh yeah you you um you're sort of operating at a different level um the other thing that palladium did that i thought was utterly brilliant was and then i mean obviously it got way off the rails very quickly but if you look at the original introduction of the concept of mega damage in the first rifts book and in um the Robotech books, it was brilliant. So, you know, they had the, you know, for those that haven't played it, they had the the original concept of like uh, what they called structural damage capacity, which was just hit points. And they had like this weird thing where you had structural damage capacity and then your hit points. And it was sort of like when you're like, playing a video game and you're down to just like the red part of your health bar, that was your hit points. Like, you're you're about to die if you're in your hit points at all. Before that, you've just got structural damage capacity, which is how much hits you could take. And the idea was that inanimate objects did not have hit points, they just had structural damage capacity or SDC. So, you know, uh, a, a small shack might have like 200 SDC and uh, a milk crate would have like 50 SDC and like you know it's, it's just a way of you know giving hit points to things Um, and then they were like well uh, you know you could sit there with a baseball bat and wail on a uh, on a M1 Abrams tank all day long you're not going to do anything to it you will change this tank in no conceivable way so they had this mechanic that was mega damage capacity each one point of mega damage was 100 SDC so you could have weapons and it sort of like meant that if you were like doing combat at a vehicular level it was everything was escalated and then rifts kind of made everything mega damage so then it didn't really matter anymore which was kind of a shame but originally it was this thing that was sort of exclusive to like their powered armor and their vehicles, and it really made the vehicles incredibly scary. And I loved that mechanic of like, yeah, this thing, you know, if uh somebody shows up in, you know, power armor, you could just sit there and unload your 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 handgun on it all the time, and it's not going to do anything because that's how a tank works. Um and I wanted to reflect something kind of like that in command droids where they, the 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 command droids actually operated at a different damage level than the humans. Um Obviously, our mechanic system was really different, but like it was inspired by that. Uh, And that's something that I I think is a fascinating part of vehicular combat is that like it is this this escalation all of a sudden, Uh, especially if you're dealing with a weapon of war, something that has guns or missiles on it designed to, you know, attack enemy bases. Like it's scary enough if somebody shows up with a gun to kill you. But if somebody shows up with a jet fighter to kill you, they mean business and you should react accordingly. Uh, if there's there's a lot more damage output that is you know potentially going to happen there. And I don't really need to say that. Obviously, if somebody's got a tank or an APC, they're going to be able to do a lot of damage. But like that's, the question is, how do you reflect that mechanically without just getting into silly numbers where it's like, oh, I'm going to roll... 200d6 for this surface to air missile uh and count it all up to see how much damage it does like you kind of got to escalate yeah but keep it in perspective
0: i i think obviously if you're going to include something like a surface to air mi- uh, what did you say surface to air missile regardless yeah. you're you're going to include tanks and and fighter jets in your game you are expecting these vehicles to be involved in combat you should consider how that's going to work vis-a-vis a person with a gun um or their fists or whatever it is um but if you on the other side if you have combat in your game and you have you know you have damage you have you have hit points you have armor or whatever and you add a vehicle into that even if you're not intending the vehicle to be used as a weapon of war, they're going to do it. So <laughs> you should also plan accordingly. Like, as soon as you give a player a car, they're going to want to run someone over with it. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <This is laughs> so true. you need to be prepared <clears throat> for that, I think. Um, so you're not kind of leaving it on the GM to decide, like, oh, how am I? Oh, There's no rule for this. I don't know what to do. Um... <laughs>
1: like... And as as a corollary, as soon as you put people behind the wheel of a car in order to stop the opposing car, you're going to want to shoot the driver. Yeah. yeah. Or, so, or the tires. Like, go, go, go <laughs> Or, the, or tires. the tires. Go past everything else that you could possibly do to the vehicle, structurally damage it, you know, drain it of fuel, you know, whatever, flip it over, um, lose it in a chase, whatever. You'd be like, well, if we just, you know, shoot out a few tires or we shoot the driver, that's the end of everything. And that's something that I actually faced when I was dealing with chase rules for, um, for capers, um, which I I included in Caper's covert because that's like the the spy the like the James Bond version of the game, um, 60s super spies and superpowers. Um, and so but it you know like for the purposes of the game that I was creating and the supplement that I was building, um, like blowing up a car or destroying a car completely to the point of it not functioning at all ever again um and killing all people inside wasn't what i was going for so that's one of the questions you ask yourself when you're dealing with vehicles and ships is like how are you going what what's what's what are you doing with them are you looking to shoot down jet fighters and they're going to like crash and explode and that's it it's completely gone or are you looking to do a chase sequence where you're like i just want to resolve how one vehicle gets away from another and so I've dealt with that a few different times. Where it's it's the game is never built around destroying the vehicle entirely. It's about um, when uh, scoring enough successes on a track that ultimately allows you to escape if you are the one being pursued, or for you to catch the person that you're pursuing if you are the, the the pursuer. Um, and so, and so the different things that you can do in order to do that are all sorts of different maneuvers and like shooting, like one of the things I incorporated into the rules was shooting the driver is there, but the driver is also surrounded. Like, as Sean said, armor, um, they are, they are very well protected. So I, I adjusted the rules in such a way that like shooting at the person, um, who's driving will get you closer to stopping, you know, to winning the chase, whether it be, catching the person or or fleeing, um, successfully, but it's not like, it's not inherently like, like you do it one time and boom, we're done. Like, it's like, it's, it's all part of a process of building enough points up on this track to be able to, and that, that allows the rest of the team to contribute. One person can be, you know, trying to take, um, uh, the gas tank or, or, or disable the vehicle in some other way, or the tires, or the, the driver can be, um, attempting to maneuver um the the opposing vehicle to go down the the wrong road so that you can slip slip away and escape or whatever right there's different things that you can be doing so you know that 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 was like my big takeaway that I came out of you know generating rules for vehicles um specifically around chases and combats that are taking place during chases um is to think about what you want the vehicle role to be in the game. Like in in James Bond, you know, James Bond type stories, the vehicle is two things. It's a way to engage in a chase, and it's got cool gadgets unto itself that allow you to do story things that propel the story forward. Um, and occasionally it does blow up the bad guy's vehicle or whatever, but but that's that's you know, that's secondary to what, what you're really looking at because ultimately what it's allowing Bond to do is to do cool gadget stuff and to catch somebody or get away from somebody. Um, there are also so yeah also, you just you, you approach that Take, think of think of that and and start from there
0: there's also some non combat or chase scene roles that a vehicle can play such as travel um like getting the characters from one place to another in a faster amount of time and a safer amount of time um or exploration you have a submarine now you can go underwater you have an airship now you can go into the air um,
1: does it have sensors? Does it have right. uh, the uh, Does it have the capability to withstand certain environments?
0: Does it need a crew? Does it like all of these things? I know some people get like really into the weeds when it comes to like caravan rules in in games or like crew rules and supplies on your ship. I mean, gosh, I can't imagine. I want to see a game. I, I am sure that there exists one where, like, the ship itself on a pirate ship is very important, and now someone knows a whole bunch about pirate ships that I would never have known <laughs> in my entire life. I didn't even think about that until just now. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh my gosh, there are so many genres that are really contingent on vehicles. <laughs> in Moonpunk, I... there's only one one character who can get a ship, um, and all it's, like, it's meant to do things like run away, or to to (laughs) hide and smuggle things, or to go out onto the surface without you um, drying out and imploding, like, whatever it is. Um, So we didn't, like, really get into the nitty-gritty on the ship itself. Um, But, like, space, gosh, you need a ship, you need (laughs) Vehicles. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> so I think another place where vehicles are really important especially like you know war vehicles like jet fighters and tanks is in uh, supers right because it really conveys that escalation when somebody catches a super sur- uh, a surface to air missile and throws it like to safety yeah you know what you're dealing with now like that is somebody who is incredibly powerful we're dealing with like a Kryptonian or something um there's a great video by a band called uncle it's kind of hard to watch at first uh um it's like uh in the 90s um it's tom york from radiohead and like a couple other people and like the video is showing this guy and he's like getting hit in a tunnel over and over again uh and then like at one point like a car hits him and he's fine and the car just shatters and it really like it's such a powerful moment it like conveys this like huge shift and uh i it, this you can you can absolutely do something like that in a game where you're like showing like that's that's what like the level of power you're dealing with here right is if somebody takes like uh a, a, an 18 wheeler straight to the back and they're fine and the 18 <laughs> wheeler just crumples around them that is an easy way to introduce a villain that is going to make everybody crap their pants. Right. Is, is using vehicles for that level of escalation. Um, uh, and, uh, as sort of a, almost a, uh, an expression of scale. Um, and, Uh, you know how to convey that mechanically obviously will vary from game to game but i think in a lot of supers games there's there's a lot of characters that are like that where you know you can really show how tough or how strong somebody is by introducing a vehicle that would obviously be incredibly deadly to an ordinary human that they can deal with with no trouble
1: and that gets into the scale of attack and damage and Capability, you know, like what, 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 how does that all relate on the vehicular scale versus the personal scale? I've played a few different games where there was, they scale damage differently. Like, um, like you could, you could shoot <laughs> your, your laser pistol at the starship as it was attempting to get away, but the likelihood that you were going to do anything was pretty, pretty nil. Um, getting to Jessica, Jess's, sorry, <laughs> getting to Jess's okay.
0: point. You can call me Jessica. It's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> getting to Jessica's point. Um, earlier about uh like you know roles on the ship like that's something you can explore too there's um how the how the ship is specialized is basically what it comes down to like you know if if you're going to pilot the ship do you have to be at the pilot's chair what does the pilot have to do in order to make the ship function can anybody just walk up there with like oh i've got a good perception score so i can sense things and i've got a you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dexterous so I can move the throttle quickly when we need to avoid something. So does that make me a good pilot or do I need a special, you know, do is there a specialized skill? Do I need this skill and that skill that makes being a pilot um, kind of a specific role? Um, you know, and you know, can any can a person at any station shoot the guns, or do you have a gunning station, like the whatever the weapons are? Um, and then the one that I found the most challenging, and then I had to do a fair bit of research to kind of look and see how other games have done it, was like, what does the captain do? Because the captain mostly gives orders right. um <laughs> to get the other things to kind of coordinate and everything. So, like when I did Capers Off World, which has spaceships in it, it's the captain is very much uh the captain helps everybody. The captain helps like captain gets you bonuses. The captain allows you and you to coordinate things easily. Like the captain does all these things that, um, but they're, they're not doing, they're not piloting the ship. They're not firing the guns. They're not, you know, operating the sensors. They're, they're, they're not, uh, you know, doing anything medical. They're not me- screwing with the engines, <laughs> um, fixing the engines, but they're coordinating everybody to do all the things that they need to do. Um, and then again, what, you know, what does that take? Do you just like, if you've got a good social skill, does that mean you can be a good captain or do you have to have something highly specialized? And so that becomes a question of how your characters are built and how how granular and crunchy your your rule system is to have like, do you have six traits or do you have, you know, 40 skills in your game? Um, and how do those relate to, to things like vehicles and spaceships? And then, you know, when we get into the personality thing that of course can be built into rules type stuff as well. You can have the, you know, the computer or the, whatever, the AI that's in the, in the ship or the vehicle might not be cooperative all the time. And there might, you might have to like your game rules might have like, you know, the, the, the computer that controls that helps you run the ship um, has a few um, directives that it doesn't tell you about like that could be built into the system like you can't access certain things about the ship temporarily or until you figure out oh well, the oh the computer won't let us do that because and there's some logic behind why the computer has decided that you shouldn't be allowed to do that or why somebody programmed the computer to not let you be able to do that sort of thing um, and 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 you know like figuring that out might be kind of built into mechanics as well. You might, like the characters might have to solve some sort of uh, puzzle of the computer and and make some some checks looking for very specific things in order to be like, oh, that's why the computer won't let us, you know, touch the life support system because the computer thinks that we're stupid and going to kill ourselves if we even Hollywood. fiddle with the life support system in the slightest way. And then One's the computer will be aliens. alone. And then the computer will be all alone because we'll all be dead. And really the computer won't let us do it because the computer is afraid of being alone.
0: See hmm. now, there's a nice little mini game, like a little <laughs> tiny RPG you could do, and we can just call it "I can't let you do that, Hal." And <laughs> you got to figure out why this computer on this ship won't let you do what you want it to do.
1: <laughs> Were you looking for? I can't, I'm, I can't allow you to do that, Dave.
0: Yeah, that's that's what that's, I did mean. <laughs> that's
1: okay. That's okay. We we knew what you meant, but I love that. Yeah, line. Yeah, that's it's,
0: revenge for calling me Jessica earlier. Like what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> Um, it's been uh, a fun conversation about ships and cars. I really want to like experiment a little bit with vehicles and vehicle rules now. Sounds, sounds like a fun time. Um, I Again, I don't know anything about cars. So. <laughs> I'd be happy to help. <laughs> um, well, thanks again, Sean, for joining us today.
2: Ooh, happy to do it. I had a lot do of fun. You have,
0: uh, do you have anything you want to promote or any place we could find you on the Internet?
2: Um well uh Commandroids is available now at Drive Through RPG. Um and uh we're going to be you know doing the Summer Con circuit. We're definitely going to be at Gen Con. We might be at uh, Origins and uh, hope to see you there.
0: So um, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr and at @joska and you can find my games on Drive Through RPG or on itch or at wannabegames.com.
1: And you can find me at NerdBurgerCraig Craig on Twitter and Mastodon Dice Camp. Uh the website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are up a drive through RPG. Uh right now there's a Kickstarter for what is light without dark that is going on. That is a supplement for the any award nominated Good Strong Hands uh with getting award getting nominated for an award. Um, For that game, a couple of them, uh, I decided to fast track a supplement and it's finally coming to fruition. Um, So you can go check that out. It's all about things that are hidden or lost um, over the years in uh, during the fight with the void as the characters try to save their world from being destroyed.
0: Uh, Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Abel by Steph Sacks, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sacks, and thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.